the project was finally released, when the music video was ready, suddenly riots started happening on the ground and made our project even more extremely relevant. After that, we got a lot of attention from the world and we realized that we have something powerful in our collaboration together. He's a moderate Palestinian with Israeli citizenship. I'm a moderate Israeli that is trying to question the narratives I grew up on and we can echo together something that no one echoes together. There's no real creative Jewish Arab voice that says enough. We have been fooled. So essentially, Dugri was established as a social venture to utter and to creatively echo a new Israeli-Palestinian joint narrative. The Dugri project is not just Uriya and Sameh. It's us, it's ours, but it's echoing millions of people's voices who are the majority of people in the Middle East, especially in Israel and Palestine. People want to make a living. They want to live their lives. They just want to hang out. They want to have family, maybe, um, you know, self-fulfillment, and that's it. But this voice will never be heard because it's easy to be to, to sound extreme and to hear the extreme voices, but you will never hear the millions of people who are at home. Welcome. I'm your host, Dino Cattaneo, and you're listening to Authentic Leadership for Everyday People the podcast where we investigate the connection between effective leadership and authenticity. As you could tell from the intro, this episode is going to be a little different from our regular shows. Let me give you a little background. On the night of October 5th, I met Uriah Rosenman, an Israeli student at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. He told me about Dugri, the social venture he started with Samez Azakut, a Palestinian rapper. For the past three years, they have been creating content to give voice to what they call a moderate Israeli-Palestinian narrative for a mutually beneficial future. They published videos and songs, toured in Israel, and even in the US in the spring of 2023. I told Ria that he was doing really important work and that I would love to help any way possible and extended an invitation to him and Sameh to come on the podcast to discuss their work. Then, on October 7th, I woke up to the news of the terroristic attack by Hamas. Uriah was the first person that came to mind. I reached out to him to express my support and I let him know that their work was even more important now and that if they felt like it, the invitation was always open. A couple of weeks ago, they reached out and we recorded this conversation. The recent events have drowned out the voices of moderation. There's a fear on both sides that if you are not taking a strong stance for your side, you will be considered a traitor. So. In this conversation, you will hear more about the work that Uri and Sameh have done in the past few years, but you will also hear all the uncertainty, the pain and the confusion that they're going through because of what's going on right now. And despite that, you will also hear the power of their friendship, how that friendship has survived the recent events and maybe even become stronger. And finally, the strong belief that they hold that for the long run, the only solution is to work together for a mutual understanding. I'm aware that right now, to many, this perspective will sound naive, unrealistic, or even worse. But if you're somebody who had hopes for long-term peace and was maybe even working on a dialogue with the other side, and have now given up because of the recent events, I hope that hearing this conversation will give you back a little bit of faith, at least for the long run. Saz and Uriah, thank you so much for agreeing to do this 
and to come on my podcast in such, I think, a difficult time for the world, but especially for both of you. So I'm going to start to ask you to give an introduction to my audience. Either one of you can go first and sort of a little bit who you are, and then maybe we can talk about the work that you've been doing together and how that work has changed in the last two months. I'll start. Islam. Uh, my name is Uriah Rosenman. I'm 33, Israeli Jew, currently a student of a master's in education at Harvard University in Boston. I do education, social entrepreneurship, music, content. Yeah, and I, I define myself as a student, student of myself and of the universe. Marhaba, my name is Sam Zakut. I'm a singer actor. Uh, I'm not going to say my age because Arabs don't get old. We stay young all the time. I'm an actor singer for the last 20 years. Proudly partner with Uriah Rosenman, my best friend and my partner in Dugri. Nowadays, as an actor and singer, looking for myself, I'm searching for myself for meaning in life. And uh, that's it. Great. And Saz, you're, uh, where are you right now physically? Physically, I'm in Yafa. Yafa Tel Aviv. Okay, great. So as a quick background, I met Ria on October 5th as part of the iLab program at Harvard, where the iLab is an institution that helps student founders with their ventures. And I mentor there and Ria was presenting on behalf of Dugri, which is a venture that the two of you have started a while ago. Unfortunately, the landscape changed brutally a couple of days after that. What I'm interested, if you guys could share with my listeners is how Dugri was born, you know, what was the goal of Dugri and what is the type of work that you did together? Abu Boaz, your turn. You're the boss. Because he's the one who started it. You should know that. Started in his mind and then I joined him. We, we spoke about the initiation of Dugri many times. I'm thinking about how to present it in a way that would be constructive for this podcast and for this talk. Uh, but essentially, growing up where we grew up in Israel and Palestine, acknowledging and witnessing all of the suffering and chaos around us. I have my own personal journey of trying to understand why life is the way it is. And I got inspired by an American artist who did a rap song and a music video about the racism and tensions between blacks and whites in the U.S. And I was inspired to do an Israeli version of it. And while I was a student and I worked full time as an educator, I started writing down lyrics uh, in my free time about the tensions between Jews and Arabs within the country. Very soon I realized that I don't know much about the extremes of both sides. And I decided to commit to some sort of journey of, of, of investigation. And for two years, I traveled the country. I interviewed Jews and Arabs, more than 25 of them, actually, that I've never met before and ask them very tough questions about how they see the other side and why. And I transformed their opinions into a rap song. After two years of process, where I was able to come up with the final version and went to a music producer to record it, I understood that I have something valuable in my hands, but without the authentic partnership with an Arab, with a Palestinian. Back then I called it an Arab. I didn't refer to it as Palestinian this project wouldn't mean as much as it could possibly mean. And that was when I reached out to Sameh, Sameh, 
went to meet him at uh, a restaurant he was involved with uh, in Jaffa, presented the song to him. We immediately clicked and decided to go on a collaboration that went on for another whole uh, year, eventually to you know, release this song, which became viral given the unbelievable chaos and riots between Jews and Arabs that happened in May 2021, completely holistic timing. And that's what set us to establish this venture together. What do you say, Sam? I can only add that Duvri means in Arabic, straight, talk straight. You know, we never imagined we're going to do a, a, a venture together, a social venture, because at first we, we thought that we we're going to only release the song, the video. But I have to be honest that Uriah from day one told me, listen, bro, this video is going to change your life. You know, I've been like a musician actor for many years and I've been promised so many times. If half of the promises were happen, I'll be millionaire now, billionaire and so successful. But at first I had some issues, you know, like doing this kind of collaboration. I'm not going to dig in, you know, too much in, in it, but I didn't, I had some, my own suspicious about him, his tensions. But after we released the, uh, the video and went viral, we started to work together. We started to be as colleagues, as writers. And then, and, and then we just decided to establish Dugri, you know, a, a social venture that echoing this moderate voice to echo the new narrative, Palestinian-Israeli moderate narrative, that you can hold both sides and both narratives and doing it by, you know, by music, content, and education. And uh, I can say this is until today, I know he's far away from me. He's now in America and I'm in here. My parents are proud of me, but in Dugri Project and what we do, my mom was so like, my dad even, who was the biggest fan and he's they supporting so much and they feel that the Dugri Project is not just Uriah and Sameh. It's us, it's ours, but it's echoing millions of people's voices who are the majority of people in the Middle East, especially in Israel and Palestine. People want to make a living, they want to live their lives, they just want to hang out. They want to have family, you know, self-fulfillment. And that's it. But this voice will never be heard because it's easy to sound extreme and to hear the extreme voices, but you will never hear the millions of people who are at home. I want to sort of paint the picture of the journey up to October 6th. And then unfortunately, I think we need to dig into how that has changed the journey of Dugri. So you, you had the red song. And then what was the vision for Dugri as a social enterprise? I want to start by saying everything that happens is organic. Like when this project started, it came from my heart. There was no end goal. There was no funding. I just did it on my free time, right? After getting to know Samech, I changed the lyrics a little bit because none of the lyrics were in Arabic. It was all in Hebrew. I didn't speak Arabic. When Samech entered this project after two years of my solo work, we switched the Arabic side with Arabic lyrics, and it was all ha- organic happenings. We developed as we went further together. And when we, the, the project was finally released, when the music video was ready, suddenly riots started happening on the ground and made our project even more extremely relevant. The timing was insane. After that, we got a lot of attention from the world, and we realized that we have something powerful in our collaboration together. He's a moderate Palestinian with Israeli citizenship. I'm a moderate Israeli that is trying to question the narratives I grew up on, and we can echo together something that no one echoes together. There's no real creative Jewish-Arab voice that says, enough, we have been fooled. So essentially, Dugri was established as a social venture to utter and to creatively echo a new Israeli-Palestinian joint narrative. 
how are we going to focus on the future and create the mutually beneficial one? We believed that this can happen slowly, very, very slowly in a process by using music and content, education, and community building. What does that mean? Music and content that inspires the younger generation, speaks their language to make them realize, oh, that's so true. Finally, somebody's saying it the way it is, in a way that is inspiring for me. Education is allowing the younger generation to meet the other side and to acknowledge it from a younger age because our education systems are so much separated and divided. So the work that we've been doing in schools allows some of the Jewish kids to meet an Arab or a Palestinian for the first time in their lives and vice versa, especially given our unique positionality of speaking blunt but moderate. The third aspect of community is, I can speak much about community, but essentially for Jews and Arabs to party together. When Sameh took me for the first time to a bar or a club where I was one of the only Jews around, surrounded by moderate Arab, I would even say seculars, it was mind-blowing for me to realize how similar we are. And that is the work we've been trying to do as Dugri. Since we established the venture right after the release of the video, we've been focused on those three aspects mostly on the art creation and the community engagement, you know, reaching to schools, reaching to kids, but not a lot about business building, fundraising. And that is why we stayed small. It was mostly the two of us together with another person helping us. And that's what we've done in the last couple of years. Up until we went to a US tour, we were invited for 16 shows in 20 days across the entire United States. It was pretty amazing experience. And just to finish, to wrap this up, when we came back from the United States, we were both feeling exhausted. There was something about the partnership that was, at least in my experience, unsustainable, given the fact that we didn't have the business aspect, we didn't have the money flowing in. And that is when uh, I realized that I need to take a a, a break and to pursue my ambition, uh, which like my, my lighthouse guiding my life, which is to build a school a community-based independent school, and I decided to accept an offer to study the master's degree in education at Harvard for multiple personal reasons, which we can go into later. But that was when we took a break. I flew here in August, and, and, you know, we are obviously very close friends, but then October happened. When we met in October, Dugri was still as a venture that you were pursuing, if I recall, at least within the framework of the iLab. Yeah. From your perspective, Samer, so what was your vision for Dugri up to that point? I think it October the 7th didn't change anything inside of us because both of us are aware enough that the situation or the whole image, the whole picture of what happening since 48, and if you go to October the 7th, it's more complicated than you think. It didn't change anything inside of me. It didn't lose hope on both sides or in the good people on both sides. And uh, um, for me, it was kind of, you know, at first I, I, I didn't get what we were we wanted to do in the, uh, the social venture, but we went, I got to know Oriya more because you have to understand, and maybe your audience who don't know, most of Arabs in Israel, they speak Hebrew. They know the Jewish traditions. They know how Jewish people live. They kind of... You know, if, when you speak the language of your other community or so-called enemy, you can know better about him. But most of the Israelis don't speak Arabic. They don't really meet Arabs day by day. We don't have this daily life that we meet enough. 
So for me, being part of Dughri was a say to tell everybody that it's don't take nothing as granted because actually the both communities are segregated in Israel. All, most of communities are segregated. You have here and there like small community, small neighborhood, but majority of the people are segregated and separated. So for us being together, it's not, you can't take it as granted. And to echo this complexity of uh, being a Jew or an Israeli in, in Palestine, Israel, or the Middle East, or being a Palestinian in Israel, it's the whole complexity is to hold it. It's kind of hard sometimes. And it's not even so-called sexy to talk about it. But that's our lives. So at first, I thought he's a nice, you know, guy to make music with. But day by day, after we get it, got to know each other and we tr we started to create a lot of content, then we had some small TV show and Democrat TV, and we started to work more and more and to create more content. Then I understood how much responsibility or how much passion I have is to do something that there's no such thing as Dugri in Israel nowadays in Palestine before October. There's no really Jewish Arab creators who are not being, you know, pushy-mushy and trying to whitewash reality and say everything is fine. No, everything is not fine. And that's be before we go to October the 7th. We are not fine since 48 because we're not talking straight to each other. We're not really trying to uh, to solve or to speak up of even about what we feel. So after getting no Uriah and, and connecting to him as a person, of course, and then getting to know his vision about the project. And then I brought my stuff and he brought his energy because we're like King and Young. You know, he's the serious guy in the duo. He's the one who's all the time about the words. I'm the crazy guy. I'm the fun guy. I'm this, you know, uh, weirdo vibe thing that I bring. So this combination together made us really unique in this area, in this, in the, in the, what's going on in the so-called entertainment or business entertainment, whatever you call it. Although we consider ourselves like different. So when we went to the tour and then after the tour, of course, what happened, I can tell you that even if we have Chas uh, V'Chalila, for God's sake, another uh, Nakba or October the 7th again, we will never lose each other. You know, our friendship is bond. Our bond is built not about what the others will, will say. Uh, if they're going to call him leftist or call me collaborator or traitor, you know, that's what they told my grandfather in '48. Because he had Jewish friends and he understood what's going to happen in Palestine and Israel after 48. And they, and they called him at first traitor or dreamer. But his vision was right from day one. And I'm kind of feeling lately that I'm connected to my grandfather, especially since October the 7th and what he went through and my family went through. And I'm all the time asking myself how he will behave, how he, how he will understand what's going on. And it's hard to echo our voice nowadays. It's really... Uriah in America, but I'm here in Israel, and to echo now this complexity, it's kind of, for me, it's risky a little bit. I could get troubles. I could get into troubles. But for me, it's now, if we want to create and keep continue creating together, it's have, of course, to be more sensitive and more understanding that both communities, and I'm here now in Yaffa, and I can feel it, both communities are in hard pain. You can see people's eyes. They don't understand what's going on. People don't understand what's going on. Arabs and Jews, Palestinians and Israelis. It started with, with the innocent Israelis who got killed in October the 7th and since October the 8th until, let's say, so-called ceasefire or right now no Palestinians or Israelis are dying the last couple of days. But you can see that people are shocked. People are speechless. 
and some of them unfortunately uh, promote hate speech and it's us or them it's jews or palestinians it's arabs or jews and me and Oriya, we are uh, we're kind of not when i say when i'm looking from above but we are aware that somebody's playing with our lives and somebody is using us since october the 7th and but it's hard now to ask the questions right now we everybody's mourning that make our project or our lives more complicated Thank you, Sameh. Now we're moving into the more complex and difficult part of this conversation. You're still here together, willing to talk about Dugri, willing to talk about your relationship as friends. What was it like to go through the initial events and then where do you see Dugri going from here? Yeah, I just want to start by acknowledging like your previous question and saying I came to Harvard to study for myself, and I brought Dugri to the iLab because I understood that there is no money in bridge building. No one, no one cares. No one wants to pay for people coming closer together. There's a lot of money in divide. There's a lot of money in wars. There's not a lot of money in bridge building. And I wanted to try to gain resources and support to build our venture because Samech and I, at least to my understanding, are doing something very important. Uh, and that has the potential to heal society. I met you, you know, two days before the incident happened, which is pretty crazy, I would say. And then since this happened, we are all in shock. As Samech said, this has major, major effect and ripples that will continue to affect us for many months and I believe years to come. So since this happened, obviously Samech and I speak and we are very close friends, but everything about our work was halted and and you know like inhibited we got some messages from people supporting us saying where are you where are you doing these times this is essentially your money time but the way i see life and the way i see you know like authentic leadership is also the ability to acknowledge the fact that you don't know the answers right now the situation is so extreme and so bad that if I choose to take a stand and if I choose to be very clear in what I communicate, I'm only bullshitting myself and others. We need to be able to absorb, ab- observe sorry, what is happening and to acknowledge the fact that we don't understand everything and that life is so fucked up and so complicated. And I believe that part of the authentic leadership that I'm trying to embed within my life is holding the flag of not knowing. Follow me, I don't know the way, but I will appoint and build collaborations with the best people around me, and I will communicate in a transparent way, you know? So I think that what happens to Samech and and myself since October 7th is that we are both afraid, we both lost, lost family members and good friends, many, many, many people that we, we know have been killed. And we, we, we stay in touch. We talk about the future. We have a new video clip that we finished editing and haven't yet published it because it does not fit the current status of people's feelings and emotions. And we are talking together how to move it forward. But we definitely see Dugri as a social initiative, a social movement, I can even say, that aspires to go the long run. It's not about reacting to every wind that comes. It's not about changing direction and reacting to reality, but holding very solid 
principles about what life means, you know, maximum well-being for maximum beings. People just want to live and provide for their families. Something about the way our world is constructed and the system and the governments and the decision-making process does not benefit us anymore. And this process of awakening, we represent a generation that slowly understands this and does not trust the decision-making process. And we're trying to build an alternative and to slowly shout in a creative way to our peers, to our friends, don't you see we are manipulated? Can't we build a grassroots collaboration between people to at least visualize what the future might look like if we do it the right way? So I, I guess this is my perspective only, Samech, please share yours, but I feel like we still don't have all the answers to your questions, but we are pure-hearted and we talk on a regular basis and we believe in the long run. That's what I have to say about that. I think eventually Uriah will marry a Palestinian woman and I will marry a Jewish woman and then we solve it. I think that's one of the solution, bro. Now, to be serious for a second, it's complicated, man. It's complicated to be here physically. I really believe and feel what Uriah is going through there and what you were feeling too, Dino, but to be here right now, it's... This is one of the most complicated times ever in my life. And we went through... Uh, uh, 2021, when we thought May is going to be like, but well, what, what we're going right now is, you know, people like around the world, I hear how they much like care about Jews and Arabs, Palestinians and Israelis. But actually, sometimes I have doubts if they really support what we are really asking for. And, you know, when I hear, uh, let's kill all the Gazans, all Palestine, let's eliminate them. And then I hear the other side, let's gas the Jews. You know, I'm like... I, I can't accept it, man. I can't accept it. As a human being, as a Palestinian, as a Mediterranean, as a man, as, as, as a good guy, you know, with just a normal person who want to live. If you want to uh, join our struggle, you have to understand that before we are Palestinians and Israelis, Jews and Arabs, we're human beings. And I think we need now to understand that we need to unite as people. I know it's hard to ask it, but we need to understand for the long run. Dividing us... Nobody will achieve nothing. It's it's a lose-lose situation. Divide, war, genocide, killing, hating. This is not the way that we will want to live. This is won't change our lives. Right now, everybody wanted to uh, get envy with. Everybody wanted to get their revenge. An eye for an eye will never solve our, our issues. I don't think Palestine and Israel are the first struggle in the world ever in history that they or two nations who went through uh, a bloodshed and war. You know, we need kind of to try to understand and read history and try to find a solution for our situation. We cannot go back to the status quo. I know it. I cannot go back my life or anybody here before what happened beginning of October. There's a change must happen. Actually, because I'm in a complicated situation, I don't know what even to tell you. Not because I'm afraid. Just I don't really know. And every day that we are live here, it's a bonus. And nobody right now, I'm going to check it out. Nobody's taking his life as granted like it used to. But I hope it will be, you know, uh, maybe it's my optimistic side. But um, we shall overcome, man. That's every day I say to myself, we shall overcome, all of us. Where do you find your hope right now? I'm going to sound crazy for you. My hope is in my late grandfather, Abu Nijam. He passed away in 2005. And he hugged really. If I have now going through complicated times, I think he had the worst than even today. And even though he went through the Nakba, 
the Nakba means for the non-Arabic, non-Arabic speakers. The Nakba is the Palestinian catastrophe that happened in 48. And the other coin, you say the establishment of Israel. It belongs to which side you belong or how, which narrative are you saying? And he, he lost everything. You know, he lost his house, his family, his life. He was in prison. And when he went out of prison, he decided to choose life, to make a big family, to try to educate our own people, our own kids, our community. And he never held a gun. And he went through the Nakba. So for me, you know, I'm privileged. Although as much, again, let's be honest, we're not like in the Nakba. Yeah, we can't compare. There's no comparison, but you can't compare. But if he went through that and he chose life, who am I to say no or to get even or to, you know, that's the education that I got. You know, that's the thing that I do. So I know it sounds crazy, but I every day I pray for him. Please send me a message from heaven. Just tell me what I should do and what kind of keep me normal is keeping myself busy. You know, uh, talk to my family in Gaza, talk to my friends and family in Israel, trying to hold this complexity in this uh, crazy times. Working out, communicating complexity with Orion, with really certain friends, not being even active in, in, in the social media or being out there and trying to, you know, I'm just sometimes not saying nothing is, is, is a thing. Less is more. And, and that's, that's what I've been doing since October the 7th. You know, I just want to acknowledge how amazing it is that Samech is now in Jaffa. And we are hearing kind of in the background the Muazin, you know, like the, the, the Islamic prayer, Muslim prayer in the background. And this really represents, I mean, it ties beautifully to your question because it really represents what it means to live in Israel and Palestine. What it even means for Islamists to be there as a Palestinian, you know, uh, surrounded by both communities and, and given the tension that is within society right now, it's really crazy. And you ask about what brings you hope. I talk to my family. People are traumatized for life. There is so much pain. There is so much hatred. To be honest, there's not a lot of hope that dominates society and the social, you know, like the public sphere. But, and I feel like there is, like from that bottom of the hole, from that know, like the, the lower ground that we are reaching right now, there is a very obvious way up of a realization, an awakening. When the situation is so bad, you start to see the light and you start acknowledging the manipulation, the way we have been, you know, like fooled to hate each other and to create a divide, right wing, left wing, religious, secular, Jews, Arabs, Mizrahi Jews, Ashkenazi Jews you slowly realize that the entire way we perceive our lives is orchestrated from above. And this, what's, this is what brings me hope. The fact that from the lowest levels and the, and the biggest pain that we experienced in decades, we are slowly asking the right questions and getting to certain realizations that might change our lives and make a revolution. Thank you. I have a question. So you both come from a very moderate background within your own community. I'm going to ask like each one of you to talk about the more extreme side of your community. What do you think are the biggest challenges in terms of starting to turn that extreme side to a more moderate side? Or is the answer to just give a bigger voice to the moderate side? 
تفضل ابو بوعز يا اي دونت وانت ميس اب يور كويشن دينو بس ام غونا انسر فيري اوثنتيكلي ذا واي اي اي انديرستاند ات اي ريلي اونستلي بيليف بيست اون ماي لايف اكسبيرينس اند ثينجز اي هاف ليرند ذات يو كانوت تشينج بيبل ايفري وان ثينكس اوف تشينجينج ذا وورلد نو وان ثينكس اوف تشينجينج هيمسلف سو ماي فوكس از was and will be changing myself opening myself to the palestinian narrative and being a force of light trying to create ripples of authentic influence trying to inspire people to go through the same heavy deep challenging process of learning the entirety of what the world has to offer and how much simplistic narratives are damaging to us and i feel like one of the biggest challenges to the situation what brought us here is the fact that there are so big uh, echo chambers right now based on social media and you know they amplify religious messaging and 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 beliefs that one side is right other side is wrong one side is you know they are animals and we are just and we are you know better and eventually i see so many comments from people on social media saying enough There's no one to talk to. Don't, I don't want to hear any Muhammad or Mahmoud or Hamoudi. I don't want to hear any good stories about Palestinians or Arab with Israeli citizenship that did good deeds because they are all wiped for me. They are all erased. I am not willing to accept any one of them. And I see it from many, many Israelis. And I feel like that simplistic perception of reality where someone is either good or bad or now we realize that there's no one to work with. it's just it's just a generalization that is you know it would never be true there would always be people like samah and for me meeting him learning about his family learning about what they went through the nakba the personalization of the conflict that really changed my life because through him i now have you know more than 200 palestinians that i know that are genuinely amazing you know like great people that i can be friends with forever Obviously, they have been educated and brainwashed in a different way than I was educated and brainwashed. But it doesn't matter. They are still focused on providing for their families, you know, surviving this chaotic world, and maybe, maybe achieving self-fulfillment. So if, if we are able to put the focus on that, it would allow us to come together as two communities. But unfortunately now, because of social media, because of the social divide, because of the the way they are locking us at home you know the, the entire thing that happened with covid that social experiment that actually made people decide to stay at their homes and f- listen to the establishment and believe everything that we are told i really believe that's the biggest danger blind belief in the establishment in what we are you know forced to to comply with and that's why i believe that the cure and and the the, the place that we at least i'm advocating for is a social awakening is people taking responsibility over the their lives and and you know like focusing on themselves focusing on be, being better people focusing on doing good and not bad and that is why i chose to speak of light and to and to try to spread light rather than maintain my position as a soldier or fight the darkness that's my answer Samakh, what do you see as the challenges in talking to the more extreme side of your side, if you will? It's a simple question, but I have to answer it really correctly. 
I had so many conversations since October the 7th, since the last two months. And most of conversations were not easy on me. And for me and for them even. And in both sides, I can hear it's us or them. This war is going to be the extension of Israel or extension of Palestinians. It's the existence of both. You know, it's like they try kind of, you know, in, in one hand, again, I, I don't really know what how to speak up or how to reach out to them because when people are in pain and suffering, they don't really listen. They don't really hear. They just want to, like, shout out what they feel. And, of course, the extremists make money out of it or make they have interest that to keep up the fight or the war to keep up everything that's happened since 48. We all, all the time talking about October the 7th, but we messed up that since 48, the situation is not cool. It's not, it's not normal even. It's just the extremist thing that happened October the 7th change it, but it's, it's a continuity since 48. And extreme, extreme voices, if you check it out, it's not, you know, it's for them now, it's a jackpot. It's now, oh, I told you that. I told you all the Jews are colonizers. Oh, I told you all the Palestinians are terrorists or whatever you want to name it. You know, I agree with you. It's hard to fight darkness, man. It's really impossible even, not hard. It's a loose situation. You will never win. You will never win. But, you know, eventually there's a crack will happen. In our second song, Memphis, Memphis means a crack, a thin crack of air. Eventually something will crack in this you know, the wall of hate that we are suffering right now from it, the separation between both communities. And, and, and there's no place now for both narratives, or it's us or they, like our narrative or their narrative. But eventually the crack will happen, and then the manifest will come in. Will come in. It's just a matter of time. We have to be patient. And who, who am I? You know, who am I? Or, or, yeah, we're just young people. Who am I to talk to the people? Hey, don't be extreme. Think like us. No, don't think like us. Think whatever you want. But... But I think it's our responsibility is just to keep, keep keep ourselves balanced, you know, not to lose it. By hearing these voices, these extreme voices, eventually, you know, everything will calm down. Everything eventually will cool off. Nobody was going to live in war or in war times until he dies. You know, it's just being patient. I really don't have a specific answer to tell you how to fight or what, what, how to answer the extremist voice. But I hope people will not lose in it. You know, we'll have to remember that we've been here together since 48 and we're going to continue after October the 7th. It's hard to fight hate, man. You know, I want to add one more thing because I feel like we kind of avoided the tough side of your question. So I just want to acknowledge the fact that there are Israeli settlers who hurt Palestinian, you know, like farmers. They, they, they cut out their trees they, they think that we are the masters of this land and that we have the right because we are the chosen people. I want to acknowledge the fact that there are Palestinians who share candy in the street when Jews die. And they, there are Palestinians who think that Jewish women uh, uh, raped is an okay thing because it's part of the resistance. And that is sickening from both sides. And I believe that it, like, there is no balance between the sides, that there is, you know, like the situation on the ground is so complicated that we as privileged people, you know, like the fact that I'm here a student, Samech is a Palestinian with an Israeli citizenship and he has an apartment and he has, and he has a life. We don't necessarily have the ability to perceive, understand or change anyone else who is not in our position. But if you ask me what would be the way to address it and to move forward is when society awakens enough to the extent of appointing leaders 
who have authentic leadership, who can at least the very minimum communicate, this is not what we do. We are not above those people. We do not deserve better than anyone else. We should demand from ourselves to be good people and we should communicate with each other to build partnerships and to create a future with maximum well-being for maximum beings. Until we have those leaders, as long as we are uh, motivated and dominated by money and by corporates and by leaders who say me and I and I know the way and this is how it should be done, I feel like nothing will change. And that is the way forward. Some powerful words from both of you. If people want to learn more about what you're doing or what you're not doing right now, or maybe what you have done, where can they go and find out about you? You can find our videos, content, and our social platforms, all social platforms, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. Just, you know, search for our, what you're doing right now. And, we, you know, we hope that we're going to do new content that's going to be accurate to the situation that we go through. But it's, you know, it's, it's a small village. We live now, right now, in a global village. So by a press button, you just check it out, Dugri Project, on all social platforms. Yeah, it's called Dugri. It's on all social media, D-U-G-R-I. It's a slow process of content creation. We do it organically based on where we are and how we feel. It's not a, an, an operation which is financed and, you know, like, it comes from the heart. Thank you. I normally have three kind of personal questions after the broader conversation. I think in this case, I want to just ask one question to each of you. I have a question that I call food for the body or food for the soul, in which I ask my guests to share if they go the body route, a, you know, a recipe or a drink that right now they find particularly nourishing. And if they choose to go the soul route, something that is more artistic and maybe a book, a piece of music a movie, you know, whatever. So I'm going to ask each one of you to share something that right now you find nourishing in this difficult times. If I understand your question correctly, which food, which thing to do that you can keep yourself calm and staying healthy. I can say it in my name. I, I work out four or five times a week. I try to eat as much as I can, you know, Mediterranean, Arab, Palestinian food for my mom's. She's the best chef i think in palestine and israel just because she's my mom and eat less meat you know eat, eat vegetables i eat a lot of vegetables and drink a lot of water i don't have a secret recipe man but my mom got a secret recipe and if i figure it out one day i'll i'll be happy to sell it to make billions of dollars so then i can change the world thank you <laughs> how about you ria i, I want to give a full answer 10 years ago i discovered spirituality and my life changed I realized that there are hidden aspects of our existence that we are not aware of, hidden dimensions. I started meditating. I started reading books about the potential development of consciousness in humans. I started doing yoga practices. And the connection between my soul and my cognition to my body has strengthened. And I feel that the, like the very concept of your podcast, authenticity, is right there in the alignment between our internal and external states of being. So when you ask such important question about body for this, uh, food for the body or food for the soul, I feel like it really connects beautifully to this discussion. I think that the most dominant force within me is my aspiration to be free, 
to be free of the mechanisms that are inhibiting me and holding me back to awaken for my biggest potential. And I do this by learning this connection, this correlation between body and soul. Eating healthy is one of them. Being now in the United States, seeing how cheap it is to buy crappy, shitty, artificial food and how expensive it is to buy fruits and vegetables, how much we have been, you know, like manipulated to consume junk food, to consume processed foods, to consume chemicals, to be addicted to the legal drugs and technology that were provided to us and how challenging it is to be very aware of what you bring into your body. That's already one step of understanding, you know, like your spiritual prison that you're in. And I feel like once you start learning that and put your emphasis on, you know, what kind of food and and substances I put in my body and how does that affect my mental state and my ability to perform and my ability to understand, that's already a step you know, a step towards progress and towards freeing yourself from what at least I call prison. So, you know, just to summarize all of this together, you know, healthy food, regular exercise, reading reading books that challenge the way you think and open your consciousness to the potential existence of other opportunities and possibilities for us as humans. And questioning the narratives we grew up on are all tied together for me in what I did, uh, refer to as man's ambition to break free. Thank you to both of you. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you're taking with you a little bit of hope. And I'm going to invite you to something. Find somebody who has views that are radically different from yours and just listen to what they have to say. Now, moving on to the regular credits. If you enjoyed the episode, find a friend who may enjoy it and tell them that they should listen to it. And if you really like the show, tell your friends and post about it on social media. Every little bit helps. Also, make sure you're subscribed to the show on your favorite listening platform so you don't miss any episode. And if you listen on a platform that allows reviews like Apple Podcasts, Audible, Good Pods, please leave us a stellar rating and a review. Five stars. Stick around because after the credits, I am going to play a song that Uri and Samehan very kindly agreed to let me share with you. For more information on the episode and all the links, go to the website al4ep.com, spelled with the number 4. You can email me at dino at al4ep.com. Please make sure that you follow the podcast on any social platform you're on. On Twitter and Instagram, I am at al4edp with the letter D. And on Facebook, look for Authentic Leadership for Everyday People. This episode was produced by me, Dino Catania, with additional edits by Pro Podcast Solutions. It was recorded remotely using Squadcast.fm. The theme music was composed, produced, and arranged by Nicolas Catania, who also played keyboards and drums with Tony Savarino on guitar and Jesse Williams on bass. And now, as promised, here is Manfas, the second song released by Dugri. مش سيئين ولا جهلين عنا حياة وبنحب نعيش بنحب العيلة بنحب الربيع بنحب البحر بنحب نعيش بسلام على الأنين بين علمين بين اندماج لمقاومة بين الرمل وغزة 
حياتنا مركبة فيش عنا منفس فيش عنا منفس صوتي هادي بدي اصرخ حالي بدي ابني حالي مثل ابن عمي ادوق الحياه لما شم ريحه بلادي اشوف حديقه مش هدم بيت جاري لا خدوا غير بالي هذه هي الطريقه اطلب سبيك شريف ما نستنى دقيقه سبالي مي بيفني من اصوات جريئه فيش عندي منفس فيش عندي منفس